Alright, so we are in the very last moments of the Bruchko books. Oh my gosh. Bruch, which I still can't spell right if I don't think about it. Alright, Bruchko, last week we started with Bobby. And Bobby lost his daughter. And we talked about struggling through pain and problems and struggles. But in the same time, we talked about him learning in that loss, him learning how to love. Right? And he learned to expand his love. Remember, the Modalones were not naturally spread in their love to any other family. They paid, paid attention to their family. They lived in a home with up to 200 people in it. 200 people. That's a lot of people. That's like everybody in the church hanging a hammock in the church and just living there. That's a lot of people. Okay? All the time, day and night. Right? And they said that the hammocks were... Some of them were 20 feet high up in the, so these were big, big, big mounded homes hanging way up. They'd literally crawl a pole and get up to the spot and crawl in their hammock every day. That's what the people did. Did they like slide down like firemen? I don't know how they did it. Maybe they must have just, I'm sure. Well, and don't you remember the one guy fell out and broke his neck, right? Back his back, right? And God healed it. Right? So, then he, he is in one of the homes with Bobby, and he sees this young guy, this young, annoying kid named Odo. And he picks Odo up. Odo is an orphan. He picks Odo up and says, we're going to take you with us. And Odo becomes his son. Okay? That is not natural. But Bobby has become a leader just, remember he's the first one to accept Christ. He's the first one to really, as a young boy, except for, who is his name, Arabidoika, who protected when, when Bruchko first came in and he had been shot by an arrow and he's laying on the mat there. Other guys would come in and poke at him and Arabidoika would say, get away from him. Leave him alone. Because he was alone, basically. And then eventually, Bobarashora, or Bobby, comes in and gives him the big worms and says, eat it, you know? Great big grubs, says, as big around as your thumb. It was like the size of a hot dog, okay? Eating a grub from the palm trees. And so he did. He ate it. Right then and there. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do, even when it wasn't his first choice. He figured, either I eat this thing, or I'm going to probably just die here. Bobby was that first guy who reached out. Bobby was the first guy to accept Christ as a Savior. Bobby was the first guy to start to help him uh, translate the New Testament. Bobby was the first guy to sit up in, in the night of the tiger when everybody else was frightened and the whole home was all abuzz, Bobby was up in his hammock singing his song, happy. He's okay. Bobby works and he's the first guy in so many things. And Bobby and Bruchko have become so close. 
They are pact brothers. <clears throat> they are like blood brothers. And they do everything together. And Bruce was worried that Bobby, when he got married, would not do the things with him. But he says it became better. She became like my sister. It was just we were so close as a family. We did everything together. We put medicine and people together. And you remember last week they fought the measles epidemic as it went through the whole place. And they went and it was just, there was diarrhea and puke every single time he went to somebody. And he puked all over the people, and, or the people puked all over him. And he just went to the next person. As soon as he cleaned up stuff and got him this one ready, he'd go over to this one and they'd puke. And then this one would puke. And that one, and just, and he did it. It's for three weeks straight. He said he'd never slept more than two or three hours a day. And then there was more. And they went to other homes and they did it. And they ended up fighting this battle for like three months with the measles. Now, how did the measles get to them? Probably from could have even been from him. Yeah. Right? Don't know, but he's got immunity to it, and the monolone people have never seen this disease. It's never hit their gene pool, and so none of them have immunity. And so they all battle, and they all battle, and they all battle, and he helps them through, makes it through. All right. So they've been through hardship and struggle and loss. They've created hospitals and schools. They've taught the elders and the children. And they are close together. And every day they get together and they talk about the gospel. And Bruce has been there for about 10 years. All right. So that's quite a reception to be shot with an arrow to begin with. Right. And to have grown through this and struggled through this and come to this point, all right? But tonight, Bruce sees his own struggles. And they're tough. They are tough. And remember, Gloria was the woman who he had met. And she, he took her out into, she and her brother wanted to come out, and they wanted to go out and meet and be with the Motalone people, and they want to spend the, a week in the jungle, and they want to do this. Uh, you guys can't do that. Yeah, I'm going to leave you behind on the trail if you don't do that. Well, don't you know they go out there. He takes them, and the Motalones are fishing. Remember how they do it? The, the women dam upstream, and the men dam downstream, and then they go in the big, deep pool, and they spear the fish. Well, Gloria, this woman that he had met, this young woman, comes out. She's the first woman ever in that tribe to grab a spear. She grabs one and goes and spears a fish. She's about to, for half an hour out in there. Spears a great big fish, comes back in, and the Motolones all think she's the greatest thing ever. Because nobody's ever done that before. No woman has ever speared a fish before. Bruce is sort of impressed at the time. But he basically, she says, she looks around, she says, so what can I do to help? And sort of in an off-the-cuff answer, he says, oh, she's going to be a doctor. That's what we need, is more doctors out here. She was studying law at the time. So she goes back, 
doesn't, he doesn't see her for five years. They write for a while, and then it sort of drops off. And one day he's in Bogota, Colombia, and there she is, walks up behind him. She's just finishing medical school. He asks her how her law degree's going, and she's like, you told me to quit and become a doctor, so I did. And she almost cries. But eventually, they end up where he says, I'm going to marry her. And so they've planned the wedding. They plan the wedding. They're going to have this wedding. And he goes back into the jungle while she finishes some of the medical school. That's where we're going to pick up. We'll pick up in chapter number 23. <clears throat> I just got to find the right one. Chapter 23, The Whirlpool. I woke up to the soft plip-plop of rain. The communal home was filled with soft early morning light and everyone else was asleep. I mu it must have rained all night because no one had left to go hunting. I turned over in my hammock and went back to sleep. I woke up again a few hours later. It was still raining. That's odd, I thought. It almost never rains during the day in the jungle. It had been several months since the measles epidemic, and I had been relaxing, looking forward to marrying Gloria and spending a lot of time with Bobby. I'd also been working in the linguistic materials I'd gathered during the 10 years with the Motolones. There was interest in them amongst linguists, and I was planning to publish some papers about the Motolone language. So 10 years with the Motolones. <clears throat> Skipping down, about an hour later, I looked up to see two men standing in the door. They handed me a little packet of five envelopes. Where did these come from, I asked. They shrugged. George Kamioi Beira gave them to us to give to you. George was in charge of procurement in Taboo, which is the nearest medical uh, town. Thanks, I said. They were telegrams. I opened the first. She is buried says. Who was buried? It must be Gloria's mother, but no, her mother had sent it. She had signed it at the bottom. I ripped open the other. Gloria had been in an accident. Her card flipped over the edge of a cliff. Come at once, one of the telegrams said. We're waiting for you. You must come immediately. But it was dated two weeks before. Another telegram said that Gloria had died and that her funeral would be in three days. I threw the telegrams down and ran to the house. Bobby was making arrows, and he looked up with me with the same sweet smile he'd had as a boy. Bobby, I choked out, she isn't coming. She won't be coming here. What, he said? She isn't coming, Bobby. Gloria isn't coming. She died. She's dead. Another alone came in home, into the home and put his hand on my shoulder, not knowing I was upset. I shook him off. How do you know she's dead, Bobby asked. The writing said so. Those letters that came today from Taibu. Bobby, I said, I've got to go to Bogota. We've got to go right now. Sure, sure, he said. When the water goes down, we'll go. So it had been raining and raining and raining and raining and raining. And what do you think he wants to do? He feels helpless. 
He wants to go. At any cost, he wants to go and at least see Gloria like he cares, or see Gloria's mom like he cares. She's gone. Gloria is dead. <clears throat> Never got to be married to her, and she's dead. So he's in distress. And you can't blame him. You can't blame him for how he feels. Sometimes in life, you see these tough things that happen, and you want, you just feel like you have to do something. You feel like you've got to do it. And so, Bobby warns him, we can't go in the water. It's too high. We gotta wait a couple days. The water will recede in the river, and it'll be we'll be able to navigate it. Now, Bobby's the best pilot around, the best boat pilot around, and they do have a small engine on one of their canoes that they go up and down the river with. Just a little hand pull engine. Somewhere along the line, they've gotten one. And so they head on a trip because he just can't wait. He just can't wait. And Bruchko says, we got to get up. We got to go. He hears it rain. It rains all day and again and again through the night. And then finally, he says, we got to go now. I can't wait any longer. So Bobby and two other Motolones and Bruchko get in the boat. They're heading down the river. And this is what happens. Bobby! Look out ahead, I yelled, but he was leaning over the motor. The nylon thread that controlled the throttle had broken and he was trying to tie it. Then another log came surging up out of the bottom of the river. It hit the big trunk on our left, bouncing it into our boat with a jolt that knocked us straight towards the whirlpool. Bobby tried to cut the motor to slow the boat and get away from the log. There wasn't time. We could see the whirlpool was very close, twice its normal size. Bobby tried to swing the boat around and go against the current, but the current was too strong. The canoe hit the eye of the whirlpool sideways. It whirled about and then flipped over. We were all thrown out. I saw the gasoline tanks floating on the water. I had my papers in my hands and the two baby bears under one arm. He'd get two baby bears he was going to send back to people in the United States as pets, I guess back when you could do that. I wanted to grab onto the boat to hold myself up, so I let the bears go. They immediately started swimming. I grabbed for the boat with one hand and held my papers with the other. Then I saw Bobby swimming in the eye of the whirlpool. Without a splash, he was pulled down and disappeared. I couldn't see anything but the sloppy cone of the dirty water, and then the canoe got closer to the whirlpool and started moving faster. All this time, we were going around and around. Suddenly, I tossed off the boat and had to tread water. I was still holding my papers. The water took me around in, in a circle once and then again, pulling me closer to the eye. There was no avoiding it. On the third time around, I saw a tree limb stretch over the water. I wondered why I hadn't noticed it before. I reached out my free arm and grabbed it. It was solid. And then I looked up and saw one of the Motolone men at the end of it. He pulled me out of the water, hand over hand. I crawled up to the bank in the mud, gasping for air. Oh, praise God. But where was Bobby? And then I realized what I had done by insisting on this crazy trip. 
Bobby was dead. Did you see Bobby? I asked frantically. <clears throat> no, he disappeared in the whirlpool. I told the men I would jump into the river and float down until I found Bobby, but they said I couldn't. The river would suck me in and I would die. The cliff bordered the river at this point, and we couldn't get downriver without scaling it. So we began to scramble up, and I was frantic. I fell down and cut my finger. I've got to find Bobby, I said to myself. I left the papers and kept climbing. Again, I fell along and made a long gash in my leg. When I had reached the top, I got a thorn in my bare feet. It went in over an inch, and I had to stop for the pain. All hell had been let loose against me, I thought. But I dragged on as soon as I could stand it and looked out over the river, scanning the banks. I saw the canoe like a fat needle along the bank, and then I saw Bobby holding on to it. Oh, God, I ran down the hill, falling over the rocks. I reached Bobby and helped him out of the, with the canoe, helped him out of the water. I placed my hand on his shoulder. I thought you were dead, he said. I thought you were dead, I said. He was completely naked. The whirlpool had ripped off all his clothes. Look, he said, I lost all my clothes I was going to wear in civilization, and my money was in them. Who cares? I said, you're alive. Praise Jesus. And then other, the other men came up. I was so relieved that I couldn't say much. I smiled and touched them all, and then we bailed out the canoe and continued downriver. The rest of the trip went without incident. When we were a few miles from Rio de Oro, we stopped by the river. Bobby made a loincloth out of a big leaf, and he went into town. When I got onto the airplane for Taboo, Bobby put his hand on my shoulder. Tell Gloria's mother that we're hungry for her, that we're all sad that Gloria died, he said. Take care of yourself and come back soon. I will, I promised. So here's the thing about oftentimes in life, we get something that happens that's hard in our life. And our reaction is struggle and pain and we want to fix it and we want to do something or we want to run or we want to go somewhere or do something. And you can't blame Bruce for wanting to do that. He wanted to go see Gloria. But he lost all his patience in that moment and he insisted, insisted. Okay, Let's go to James chapter 3. One thing we learn in life, it was we learn when we learn with God through trials we get something. I'll ask you where he got it in a second. James chapter 3, verse number 17, please. James chapter 3, verse number 17. <laughs> Is that little page that fell out? <laughs> James chapter 3. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy, to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partial. Partiality. Partiality and without hypocrisy. Okay? So here's the thing about maturing in God. If you're going to mature or you're going to grow up, 
to mature in God gives you wisdom. Right? And wisdom from God is unlike most other wisdom, although any real wisdom, I guess, comes from God. Um, but when you mature, you learn certain things in wisdom, and that's the list of what you get out of wisdom with God. Chapter, chapter 3, verse 17. So what do you get? Tell me which, what things you get from wisdom with God. Peace. Peace. Good fruits. Well, and peaceable is one thing. Good fruits. Mercy. Mercy. Partiality. Without partiality. Impartiality, we'll call it, okay? And we'll talk about that in a minute. Without hypocrisy. Okay. Gentle. Not a hypocrite. Gentleness. Gentle. Easy to be treated, so like approachable. Easy to be approached or... Another word for that is open-minded. Wisdom. And wisdom, which all of these kind of fall under the God of the wisdom of God. Is that it? Mm -hmm. So, first thing is peaceable. Now, you can be at peace, which is one thing that's good, right? And God gives you, the Holy Spirit gives you peace in your heart about struggles and trials, and we've seen that as they've gone through struggles and trials. But being peaceable means your interactions, not only your internal, but your interactions with others, you cause peace. You create peace. <clears throat> others know you're not riled up easily. No. Then I don't need to be. Because I'm okay with what things happen. People have called me in the midst of something that they might call a, uh, a, a struggle or even uh, where they're in a great trial or in the midst of something and I don't sound in panic. And they said, you were just calm. Because God not only can give you peace, but he gives others around you peace in the midst of it. Right? So being peaceable is part of the wisdom of growing in God. And you see that uh, Bruce isn't quite there in all of his things. And we're not always quite there, right? We've got things we've got to learn no matter what, right? We've all got struggles. We've all got things we've got to do. Bruce isn't quite there. And all he can do is think about that moment. He's got to go fix this somehow, even though it's too late. And I'm sure he felt guilty for not getting all of the, um, all of the, the telegrams, on time, he felt guilty for not seeing the, the woman he was going to marry before she died. Maybe she was alive in the hospital. Maybe he could have, maybe he could have, maybe he could have. But the rains that were unusual in the jungle were happening well beyond his control. 
The rivers were high. It was impassable. Almost killed his friend when he said, do it anyways. Came that close to killing his friend. Don't you think God had the control of that river height? Don't you think that if God wanted, he could have allowed that telegram to slip in just before the rains, just before the river got too high, just before all the things. God could have done that. But for whatever reason, God didn't choose that as the pathway for him. Was it a harder pathway? Maybe. It doesn't really matter because there was nothing Bruce could do about it. But his reaction to it, to not being in control, which is the struggle for most of us at times. We like to have control over what's going on with us. right? His reaction to not being in control is, give me control, I want to get there, and I can fix this. You can't fix anything. She's gone. Right? She's gone. And God knows you can't fix it. And God wants to help you to know you're not in control of this. You are only in control of yourself and your reactions to what is going on. Regardless of how big in your life this seems or how small, you're not in control of it. God says, I'm in control of this. Bobby was good with it. When the river goes down, I will get you there. The moment we can safely pass through, I'll get you there. Bobby was still a good enough friend to do it when he knew he shouldn't. That's loyalty. And Bruce took advantage of it. So, with impartiality, these are other things that come with wisdom from God. Impartiality means I'm impartial to things. That means I don't just do things because I like it. I do something because it's right. I listen to your side of the story and your side of the story. I decide on the facts. I work through situations and it's not like, well, this is going to affect me more, so I'm going to make sure I err to the side of myself. No, no. Even if it affects me in a worse way, I'm going to find the truth and do it. So I'm impartial. And that is rare to find in this world because it comes from God. Wisdom from God to say, I'm just going to follow the truth. And even if this hurts me, I have to trust that God can handle this in my life. I've had those things where I had a test score that I got in college and I walked up to the teacher and said, you gave me two more points than I was supposed to have because we went over the thing afterwards, the test, and the grades were all written out and I said, you gave me two points. I had some teachers come and say, thank you very much and write it back down like, oh, okay, I'll lose the two points. But it was the right thing to do. I've had other teachers say, well, that's what I wrote down. There's probably other people out there. And I've had other teachers say, two points, I'll give you two more points because you were honest. You don't know how it's going to work out. But if you are impartial regardless of it, and I knew I had potential to hurt myself by taking that up to them, right? Because I knew I didn't earn it. But if you can learn to do that, 
and be honest and impartial, regardless of if it'll even hurt you, just tell the truth. God blesses that. Good fruits, okay? This is the wrap-up of all things that happen in your life because you affect other people by how you treat them. That's why it's actually last in the list. People remember you. People are grateful to you. People 10 years later, 20 years later, 50 years later say, I remember you. You were nice to me when no one else was. You were fair to me. You gave me good advice. You didn't make a judgment quick, right? You gave me mercy when I didn't deserve it. You were gentle to me. You didn't lie. You were not a hypocrite. What you said was true. Those things matter. Now, there's one more thing which I think really applies to the book Bruchko is this easy to be approached or open-minded. I didn't read you the whole conversation, but Bobby and, and Bruce have several conversations over that day about going out. And Bobby tells him several times, I will get you there as soon as I can. It's dangerous. We know this, we know that, we know these things. No one can navigate that river safely. I want to get you there safely. And Bruce says, all right, I know it. And he walks away for a while and he goes back and, I want to do this. Right? He's not easy to be approached. He's not open-minded at that time. To He's not listening to reason. He just knows what he wants and he's going to get it no matter what. And in the middle of that trip, when was the moment Bruce learned? He gained wisdom from this trip. When was the moment he learned? He learned when he said, I think Bobby's dead. God was merciful. And Bobby did not die. And Bruce had more time with him. But the moment he realized my own unwillingness to listen caused my very best friend in the whole world to come that close to dying because I wouldn't listen to him. I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't have it. I wanted my way and I was going to do it regardless. So God's wisdom comes hard and it comes at a price, and a lot of times it comes with a bad choice we made to say, I won't do that again. So Bruce learns even more to love Bobby and appreciate Bobby and love God, appreciate God, and to become calm and peaceable. Now, you will find years later, I've heard other testimony by Bruce, he went to other areas, other uh, they were guerrilla tribes, basically. They were like warlike tribes. They chained him to a tree for three months. Even though he'd given his life to help these people, they chained him to a tree for three months. And he was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. He was internally bleeding. And the Modalone people ended up praying to send an angel to help him because they couldn't free him from these people. And 
All of a sudden he said, I'd been there, I was prepared to die if I needed to. It, whatever happened, I was okay with, he said. But all of a sudden I heard that strange tonal language of the motolones. Way up in the tree. A hammock hanging in a tree with a motolone, like he was singing to me, talking to me, whistling at me, saying all these things about me. And he says, uh, I came to fix your bleeding. I didn't come to let you free. I came to fix your bleeding inside. And he said that moment after he said that, pain was all gone. It all walked away and he was gone. But he had to learn. He didn't get unchained for that for a little bit. He was still chained to that tree for some time afterwards. And then finally, eventually God brought him in with those people and those people too turned to Christ. But that takes great patience. Three months. I can't imagine three days being chained to something. Three months being chained to something takes great patience and great willingness, great wisdom to not only say I have peace in my heart about whatever happens, but I'm peaceable towards you even though you mean something bad to me. You want to hurt me. But I understand Christ enough and I understand God enough where it's okay. When you have God and you have the wisdom of this, you are untouchable in this world. They can do something to your body, but never to your soul. God is with you and you are untouchable. Powerful, and that is what oftentimes is the real power, is that spiritual power that you have in being like Christ. That's what turns nations. Not going in with a sword swinging and a gun blazing and saying, yeah, you got to do what I say. That does not turn nations. What turns nations' hearts is being like God. Right? That's, that's what turns nations. And so Bruce, if you hear him talk, he says, I didn't do any of these things. God did all these things. God put me here. God put me there. God gave me an opportunity to do this. He gave me an opportunity to do that. And God did all the work. So he's learned great wisdom through it. It's got really interesting to hear him speak. So there he is. There's Bobby. Close. Close. Now, Humberto. You remember Humberto in the very first chapter? The very first chapter, the guy walks up in a suit to Bobby and him and shows them a cross and by this cross you will die. He's threatening Bobby. He's threatening the Motolone people. He's threatening uh, Bruce. He says, I will rub every Indian of the Motolone tribe out of here because we are going to settle this land. He's part of these settlers that wants to come in. Now since all that time, since those years, since that time, they have grown hospitals within the Motolone tribes, these little hospitals. And these very people that are angry trying to settle the land come in and they want to be medically helped. 
because the modal loans can best help them out in the jungle. So the modal loan people treat them and they go back out and they are their enemies. It's a very strange thing. <clears throat> but they have learned to be like Jesus. They've learned to be like Jesus. So the intensity of the situation increases and now all of these settlers are coming in and threatening them almost every day. We're going to kill you. We're going to shoot you. We're going to do things. It's getting more and more dangerous to travel on the river. But while the intensity is happening, the intensity and the threat and the threat is happening all around them. Also, God's work becomes intense. And that is what's exciting. Oftentimes when the most intense struggles and trials happen, you are either in the midst of something or you are about to see God do something amazing. You're about to see God's hand turn something in the greatest pressure and struggles and trials. So they are there and these these they're being threatened regularly. We're going to come and kill you. They find guys with guns regularly throughout the jungle on the riverbanks and things like that and there's constant threats. Meanwhile, they're helping them with medicine. Okay, the motorloans are helping these very people. I broke my arm, and they come in, and they set the arm, and they give them drugs, and they give them the things, and help them send them back out. All right? But the intensity is what's neat about it. And the neat part of this is Psalm chapter 23. What does God want to do? What has God wanted to do? What was God's main purpose... As you turn to Psalm chapter 23, what was God's main purpose for sending Bruce? Remember we talked about his training. We talked about, is he a jungle survivalist? No. Is he a medical expert? No. Is he a farmer? No. <laughs> What's he good at? Language. Language. That's it. And what does God really want to do for the Modalums? Get a written language. He's getting a written language and put his word, right? So the intense part of God's work becomes his word, which is the most precious thing to him. Okay? Jesus talks about it, and God talks about it throughout the Bible. The word of God is important. Now... This illustrates what's happening. Chapter Psalm 23, verse number 4 and 5, please. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for thou art my with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They prepare us the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So here is all around them the threats. Their enemies are everywhere. Their enemies want to come in. They want to stamp these people out. They want to wipe these people out. They want to get rid of them. But in the midst of this is the time when Bobby and 
Bruce are working intensely on translating the Bible. They are translating in the book of Philippians and they are having these conversations and understanding that God is clearly working in them between their words and their conversations and they're spreading it to the people and it's growing and growing and growing with intensity along with all the other things. There's farming happening and all these crazy things that came out of it, but the intensity is all circled around the Word of God. And that's the picture that David draws. He says, I'm sitting down and eating at a table when my enemies are all around me. I'm relaxed. I'm being fed when the enemies are hard at work to try to get me. And it's the very same thing. God has a purpose and God is holding these enemies out because he is. He wants his word translated. And so Bobby goes back and forth and Bobby goes back and forth with these things uh, with Bruchko. Let me read for you a short passage. from the book here. Bobby and I worked on the translation of Philippians. It was one of the most intense, most wonderful times of translation we'd ever had together. Our minds were preoccupied with death, it seemed, because of the inevitable conflict with the colonists, or the people that were their enemies. And the Philippians spoke to us about this death. As we worked through the first chapter, we came to verse 20 where Paul says that his great expectation is that he will not be put to shame, but that Christ will be exalted in him, whether in life or in death. I needed the right word for the ex expectation. A modalone expects to go to bed at night, but that word doesn't have much force. The center of emotion for a modalone is his stomach. Some of us can... Uh, identify with that. To have a full stomach is to have a happy heart. What was the surest way of having a full stomach? Probably to have hunted and killed a large taper, which is uh, one of those pig-like looking things with a snouty nose. Um, they're actually, I think they're cousin to the hippopotamus. You eat taper until you can't eat anymore. When they kill a big taper, they eat and eat and eat. This, it's like pork. So I took the verb for having a taper in your possession, and I invented a new tense. I put it in the future tense, like I will have a taper that's already been completed, and then I made it superlative. So in other words, I am definitely going to have a taper, and I'm going to be full. I'm going to get this, and I'm going to be full. It's not a maybe. I'm going to have it. I gave Bobby the new word. It shocked him. No, he said. That's too big a word. It's too forceful. How can you expect something as much as that? We let it drop, but it must have bothered Bobby. Two or three days later, he said, Bruchko, let's go back to that word. All right, I said. He was quiet for a while, thinking, then said, Bruchko, 
Is Jesus Christ the expectation for you in your life? Really? That stopped me short. It's one thing to figure out the right word to use. It's quite another thing to be asked if it's true in your own life. I thought of my conversion and some of the crises that I had weathered with the Yukos and the Motolones. Finally, after a long silence, I said, yes. Then I nodded vigorously. Yes, Bobby, with all my strength and all my will, I want to give myself to the expectation of Jesus Christ. Bobby looked down at his feet. Yes, he said. It's a good word. Are you sure, I asked. He nodded. So there becomes an understanding amongst them to teach them the feeling that we get when we say expectation. Like, I'm going to get this great thing. I'm going to be filled up. It is going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. There's no way around it. And then he asked that, that piercing question of, is it true for you, Bruce? Is it so true that you love Christ that whether you live or die, it doesn't matter? Is that true to you? Now remember, Bruce Olson came into the jungle when he was 19, 18, 19 years old. Been there for the last 10 years. Gone through a lot. But he still thought for a moment and then realized... This is what I'm doing. This is all I want to do. When you start to have an expectation for God to say, God, you walk me through anything, then all those things, like I said, you begin to get wisdom, and all the world loses power over you. You're very strong spiritually, stronger than most people can understand. Internally. Even if you're the weakest person on the outside in the whole place, it won't matter. If your spirit is strong, it won't matter. How often was Bruce sick and weak physically? Like every other chapter, he's got something majorly wrong with him. From hepatitis to arrows and all sorts of things in him. And he's sick and puking and all sorts of things. He's thinned down. He Remember last week, he was it last week he fell down and the... He was so hungry that the worm crawled out of his intestines. 18 inch long worm crawled out of his intestines. That's rough. I don't know if anybody's ever happened. That happened to them. Probably not. Right here. So the idea is he is gaining peace and strength through all of this. He's gaining it. And he's going to need it. He's going to need it as he's taken to other tribes. He's going to need it as he's mistreated in other places. He's going to need it, and he's going to say to himself, I am here to tell these people God's word. It is more important than me being abused. That's a very, very strong stand to take. Hard. That's why this is a good, challenging book. Because it challenges people that have been Christians for 50 years and it challenges brand new Christians and it challenges people that have gotten eh, about their life and it challenges people that think they're doing great in their life. 
how much do you really love God? What is it intense enough for you? Do you care enough? Can you say my expectation is God will be there, whatever? Do, does my trust that strong in God? That's a very personal question to mull over in your mind. So, as they work on this intensity, Bobby goes downriver one night to, or one afternoon to sell some bananas, but he doesn't come back from downriver. Doesn't come back, and eventually Bruce puts together a team and says, we gotta go out and look for Bobby. As we rounded a bend in the river, another canoe suddenly materialized out of the gloom. So they go out at night, which they do not like to do because you can't see the river, the rocks and all the things. We nearly hit it. I threw the beam of my flashlight onto it and saw Aniago Butrago, one of Umberto Abril's men, the guy, okay, they're floating around in a canoe, and some of his cohorts. I didn't call out to them, but kept my flashlight right in their eyes so they couldn't recognize us. In a moment, the river had whisked us by them. But what were they doing on the river at night? A little further down, we passed another canoe going upriver. It was filled with more outlaws. Our flashlight beam probed the shore as we looked for Bobby or his canoe. There was no sign of him. Two more canoes passed us going upriver, filled with men I didn't know. Then we drifted by one of the land settlers' home. At least ten canoes were tied to the dock. The night seemed alive with threats. Then George whispered, Look, isn't that Bobby's canoe? He was pointing at the dock. I strained to see, but I couldn't tell. We floated on by. It couldn't have been Bobby's. He wouldn't stop at that one settler's home, especially when uh, Seth and Dana, a small motorone home, was located only a few hundred yards further downriver. We considered going back for a second look. No, I said, let's go down to Safandana and ask Estoicana if he's seen Bobby. We stopped the canoe on the bank near the communal home. There was no fire glowing inside, no sound. Then I heard a motorone voice, Bruchko? Yes. Estoicana came running down the bank. I could barely see his face. Bruchko. They've killed Barbara Shora. He's dead. I couldn't grasp what he had said. That's impossible, I replied. We're expecting him. And Aqua Kikora. Has he passed by here? Estoicana grabbed my arm. Bruchko, listen to me. Bobby's dead. He's been murdered. Stunned, I fell onto my knees on the beach. Where are the two men who were with him? I don't know, he said. They were badly hurt and they've gone. He reached out and grabbed Arstarkana's knee, steadying myself. I reached out and grabbed his knee. That night seemed covered with red and blue blotches like wounds. What happened? I whispered. Bobby was with Satera and Akasara. They are coming up river, passing by Israel's farm. Israel was on the bank, motioning and calling them over to come over. Bobby was late. He didn't want to stop. But since he'd known Israel for a long time, he thought it might be an emergency. Israel was up for treatment two or three times in the last few months, I said hoarsely. He had a broken arm and that, that I sewed up and set for him. 
He's got drugs that he needed from us. Yes, Estoicana said, so Bobby thought he was a friend. He took the canoe over to the bank. While he was leaning over the motor to turn it off, Satyara looked up and saw a man standing behind the tree with a shotgun. Satyara yelled to Bobby and Akasara, telling them to jump into the river. Bobby didn't hear because he was too close to the motor. Satyara jumped on, up on the bank and grabbed for the shotgun, and as he wrestled the man for the gun, the man reached out with his machete, and Chaturella let go of the gun to protect himself, and the man used his machete to slit his arm open from the wrist all the way down to his elbow. Satyara tumbled into the river. Akasara jumped out of the boat to protect himself. Bobby tried to get out of the boat, but a blast from the shotgun caught him in the groin. He fell into the river. Some of the pellets hit Akasara in the leg, and he and Satyara swam to the other side of the river. They looked for Bobby, but all they could see was red in the water. Then they saw his body floating. They also saw swarms of colonists on the other bank. All had guns. They'd been waiting for Bobby. Akasara and Satyara were frightened, and they ran. They came here and told us. So, Bobby goes down the river, and he's reported dead. Where is he? Where is he? I had not slept in a day and a half, and was at my end of my strength. Now they go on searching for him. Sometimes my voice would fade, and there would be nothing but the sounds of birds singing faintly in the trees. There was never an answer from Bobby. At five o'clock, we quit. It would be dark by the time our canoe reached Sefandana. We didn't talk. We were too tired and too sick. When we reached the point where the Cano Tamo Thomas River comes into the Rio de Oro, I saw something floating in the water. It looked like a log. When we went over to investigate, it was Bobby, face down. All hope drained out of my body. I felt empty, like a shell. I'd convinced myself that this would be like the time that we, he had nearly drowned. Bobby would be alive. We would be reunited. The river was shallow. I got out of the canoe, turned Bobby over. His face, stark white, was crinkly from being in the water. I closed his eyes with my fingers. He had died at once. The shotgun blast had ripped open the lower half of his body. God, I cried. Oh, God, why? He had been the leader of his people, the first to know Christ, the first to read, the first to build schools, the first to make a stand against these thieves of civilization. George handed me a blanket. I wrapped it around Bobby's body, and then I lifted him into our canoe. The next day, we took his body to Akikora. My mind wouldn't let me rest. I cried that night until no more tears could come. Still my thoughts went in circles. Why all this death, Lord? I kept asking the river. The river was death. The jungle was death. Death flowed down the valleys. Always it touches someone I loved. Gloria, Bobby. And woven through my thoughts were the chilling words of Umberto. For this cross I will kill you. So there's big questions. Why does he have to go through such a 
terrible thing. Such a terrible loss. I mean, isn't that like terrible when you find out he's dead? He was the one. Right? He was the one that made everybody happy. Bobby was the one that was able to help everybody. So why all this death? Those big questions happen in a lot of people's minds. All that day I sat outside the home and watched the vultures swoop out of the sky. They began as high, dark specks circling closer, their huge, unflapping wings. They landed in the trees with short, shuddering flaps. I remembered when I had thought this, that this ceremony from the Motolones was cold and cruel. I had thought sticking someone in a box and putting them in a hole was better than tying them into a tree to be carried off into the sky, which is what the Motolones do. They take them in a hammock, put them way up high in the tree, the body, and they let the birds come and eat them. That's the way that they do it. I only wished, uh, I knew now what it meant. It meant that Bobby was free to go beyond the horizon. I only wished I could go with him. Some motolones tried to talk to me as I squatted outside the home, tried to cheer me, but I sat like a stone. That night I couldn't stand it any longer. I went out into the jungle to the trees that held Bobby's hammock, and there I would lie down to sleep under the hammock that held Bobby's body to say a final goodbye. But when I went, the whole home followed me. There were about 200 people. It was dark under the hammock and there was no moon. Let's talk to God, I said. Odo, Bobby's adopted son, was the first to pray. He was only 14, but he gave but God gave him the most beautiful prophetic prayer I've ever heard. And this is what Odo said. Oh God, he said loudly, looking up at the silhouette of Bobby's hammock. God, this is black. It's dark. I can't see. We're lost. He was quiet for a moment, then continued in a new, quieter voice. God, there is a tree. A tall tree with its roots growing very deeply into the ground. It's us, Lord. It's the Modalone people. We've lived in this land all our lives, generation after generation, and our roots are very deep, and we stand tall. We tried to follow God, but we lost Him while we were trying to follow. We tried to follow our own paths, and they never took us to a place where they were supposed to. They only ended at another home or at a river. They never took us beyond the horizon where we could find you. Then Boberashora found your path in Jesus Christ, and he walked it and showed us how to walk it. We were glad. But God, where has it taken him? Why did the path lead to this place? God, it can't be. He stopped. There was absolute silence. The tree is beautiful, he said. It is beautiful. It is covered with large, perfect blossoms that have opened and shine in the sun. Each of us is a flower, but there is one flower bigger, more beautiful than all the rest. 
it made the most perfect fruit. That is Boberashora. He gave us agriculture and our stomachs were filled. We were dying of sickness and he brought us healing from Jesus Christ through medicine. He showed us the path to walk with Jesus Christ so that we have reasons for life, for living. We were all excited by this new life. But, O oh Lord, it's so black. A wind has blown and the fruit, the most perfect fruit, has dried and withered and fallen to the ground. Its seeds have been kicked around in the dark, dark ground. It has died. Boberashora has died and left us. God, don't let the seed be wasted. Make our lives fertile soil that his seed may grow in us. Make his death into a great tree growing into our soil so that we can live as he did to help each other and learn love. Make this grow up in us because of his death. We ask this because we are all one this evening, born in Jesus Christ, your only son. That night, I saw something I'd never seen amongst the mode alone before. People were hiding their eyes and sniffling. <coughs> Akdabdamna walked up to me trying to smile. Look at all of us. Everybody has the flu, he said. Because they're crying. No, I said, it's not the flu that I have. It's no flu. Then Akbaradana, one of the leading chiefs, grabbed his head with his two hands and fell on the ground. Oh, Bruchko, he said, look up. Looking up at me, I'm not a man, I'm a baby, a tiny baby. Only babies cry. His agony shook the Modalones as I've never seen them shaken. They ran into the jungle to hide their own tears from each other. Bruchko Abdekabdena said, Jesus Christ died for all the tribes of the world. Bobby is a little like him. He died for the Modalones. When you look and see what happens, think about Odo. He was not even wanted by the people around him, but Bobby took him. And he has wisdom because he's seen it from Bobby. He's learned it from Bobby. He's lived it. He's, he's seen mercy where he had no mercy, and peace where he had no peace, and impartiality where everybody else says, he's dirty and annoying, get him away. And Bobby says, now nah, we're going to take him. Odo is the one to stand up first. And a lot of times it's not the ones you expect who have strength, who have been learning in the shadows. You do not know what brings this, this life brings. You do not know what our church is going to see in the next two years, five years, ten years. You do not know who is waiting, who is being prepared for now with what God has to do. You do not know the hardship. But we do know that God promised to walk us through. That's what we know. We know that God has said, I will be with you, and I will walk through this with you, and I will give you peace in the midst of it regardless of how tough it is. Bruce is there. It's one of the toughest times of his life. He loses Gloria, and now he loses Bobby. But he does not lose his love for the Moalone people. And he starts to see something. The last page says, No, Bruce. This is when he 
finds his way out to town. Another person talking to him. No, Bruce, it's not in spite of Jesus that Bobby died. It's because of Jesus. He put his hand on my shoulder. Where would the Modalone people be if Bobby had not been the sort of person whom the bandits felt they had to kill? Where would you be, Bobby, if he hadn't been that sort of person? Nowhere, I said. I'd be nowhere. So life has to be like this, I thought. It has to be struggling and crying and even dying. <clears throat> Suddenly I saw my parents. Do you remember all his struggles with his parents when he was young? And all the pain we had gone through. I saw the Yukos and the faces of the settlers. I saw the faces of the Modalones for whom the rest of the New Testament still had to be translated. There was so much to do. So many things that Christ had called me to do. It would take more pain, more loneliness, maybe death. Why was it so hard? Why? And then I saw Jesus. He was struggling up a hill with a great burden. His face was lined with grief. His back was bent. I steadied myself on the back of the chair and looked at the minister of the government. I think I see, I said. It's the cross. I held up my hand and put my thumb across my forefinger. It's for this cross. In Luke chapter 9, we finish up in Luke chapter 9. With a hard verse, but I think it's appropriate for a hard book at the end. Luke chapter 9, verse number 23. Wherever we left off, chapter 9 of the book of Luke, whoever's got it can read it. He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is a hard challenge from Jesus. Taking up your cross is pain. It's hardship, it's struggle, it's trials, it's loss. And they're different for each person. What your struggles and trials and hardship are. And learning to have mercy and be peaceable and impartial and gentle in even when you are undergoing pain, being easy to be approached. That is a hard thing to do, but Jesus says, Learn to do it. Learn to pick up your cross and follow me every day. Every day. Learn that you have a purpose in, this, in your life. And oftentimes, the purpose will be lined with some pain. There will be great days as there were in, in Bruce's life. And there will be many more great days. But there will be hard things. Difficult times and loss and struggle and pain. But don't let it be without planting seeds. Your life will impact other people. Like Bruce's, like Bobby's life. And it says even when he died and that fruit shriveled up and fell to the ground, that life of Bobby, the seeds hit the dirt. Let's not waste those seeds. We will see people and we will lose people. 
in this life. We will have a struggle, many struggles. Don't let those times be wasted in your life by forgetting about God. Remember Him in the equation. Live through the pain. It's real. The pain's very real to Bruce. But think about this. If Bruce said that was a very personal thing, I never want to share that with anybody ever. I never wrote that book. Think of all the people that would not have known that story or been inspired by that story to see purpose. So that's that question. What is your expectation in this life? What is your purpose? What has God put you here for? Why are you here? What is the reason? What does God have for you personally? Might be in the jungles of South America, and it may not be. It may be just here. Not that here is any easier. You may not be shot with arrows. Maybe you will be. I don't know. You may not have the same struggles and trials that he did, but your cross will be there and you will have to pick things up. Pick up the burden and do it and learn to have a long <coughs> focus in life. Learn to not be focused on the moment and the hardship that's there. Take the pain. It's not to ignore things that happen in life. That's not what I'm saying at all. But use them as opportunities opportunities to be merciful to others, to be helpful and gentle to others when they need it. Because there will be others that you know that will go through similar things, that will walk through those struggles, those trials. Right? So that is the book of Bruchko. To me, a fascinating one, a thoughtful one. It's a great story. Very much high points and a tough ending. But, wow, where are you? Where am I in this life? What are we here for? Let's answer those questions. Think about those questions. Daily take up our cross so we know what is our purpose? Why are we here? Thank you very much. Have a good day.